I have got good news and I have got bad news. The bad news is, is or, well, I don't know which one's good and which one's bad. The bad news, I guess we'll say, is that I was sick yesterday and not feeling good. But the good news is, is that I'm well today, and so that means I'm going to preach for a really long time. So you guys decide which is the bad news and which is the good news. Um, but we are going to cover a lot of ground today, Lord willing. He may change my heart and we may stop halfway through. But we, we're probably going to cover a lot of ground today and probably kind of graze over a lot of uh, maybe some tough topics. And so I encourage you, if you have questions about some of these things, to ask me later. And we may go back and revisit some of these at a later date. But we're trying to kind of wrap up this series in Revelation before Revival gets here next month. And so I'm going to try my best to kind of hit on some of the things that God has put on my heart that I feel like are important for us to hear this morning. One of the things that we are going to discuss this morning is uh, the topic of... Uh, a few words that are mentioned in the Bible, most of which that we label as hell, the words would be Sheol, Hades, hell, uh, paradise, all of these different words that we see in the text and kind of what they mean. Now, we're not going to dive into that because that's a very deep topic, but due to what we're talking about today, I think it's important that we at least look over that a little bit. So what I have done is I have found a fantastic article that this person has gone through to describe the differences between each of these terms that you have seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament with tons of scriptural references. And while I don't 100% agree with everything that this person has concluded, I believe that it is uh, a, good, a good help if you care about learning the difference between these different Hebrew and Greek words and what they mean. And so I've printed a few of these out. It's pretty long. Some of you are saying, I don't care, I don't want to read it, and that's fine. You don't have to. But for those of you who want to learn a little bit more about that, you can. And I'll place these up here, and you can grab one. Uh, whenever you get ready to go today. All right, Revelation chapter 20. We are going to jump right in. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 11 through 15 this morning. Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. After today, we'll only have two chapters left. It is hard to believe that we have made it somehow through the book of Revelation, but we are getting ever so close. Revelation chapter 15, that's, or excuse me, chapter um, 20, verse 11 through 15, that's toward the end of your Bible. We are going to pray and we are going to dig in. So let's pray. God, I come to you this morning. I thank you that uh, you have filled this place full of ears and hearts to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would hide me behind the cross this morning. God, there is a lot on my heart and on my mind, dear Lord, that you have placed there, a lot of scriptures today. And God, help, help it not to be overwhelming to your people, dear Lord. Help me to know what I need to say and how much I need to say and when I need to shut up, dear Lord, because we want your teaching today to be beneficial to each one of us here. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead and, and what is spoken and what is heard that you would use that to transform our lives, dear Lord, that as we look at your words today, that it would cause us to uh, reflect on who you are, dear Lord God, to look to the future day uh, of judgment. And that's a, a scary thought, a scary thing, dear Lord, to know you, a perfect and mighty God, uh, is going to be there to judge us, a, a sinful man. And so I pray, God, that as we look at this text today, that your glory will, uh, will be in this place and that people will... Come to know Jesus Christ if they don't already. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Now last week we looked at some very difficult uh, verses as far as what do they mean. We talked about the millennial reign of Christ and the Bible talks about this thousand year reign and there is much discussion as we discussed last week as to would this be a literal thousand years? Is this representative of a period of time? And the views are countless and we won't discuss over any of those. I also in the process I shared with you my view which I said is just my opinion based on the text and I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that but I told you one uh, view, one theory as to why those things may take place if you hold a literal view and as I was thinking about some of the things we have to discussed in the book of Revelation, and as I was going through a, a Bible study this week, there were some things that God kind of laid on my heart that I wanted to reiterate to you based on the book of Revelation. Now, I have mentioned this in passing over the last few months, but one of those things is that I wanted to reiterate to you is, is this, and that is many times when we read through the book of Revelation, we want to read ourselves into it, and what I mean by that is the United States. Now, I think it would be foolish for us to read the book of Revelation and say, this does not apply to us. But I also think we want to be careful to try to try too hard to make all these verses in Revelation say, well, this must be talking about the United States of America. Now, there are many things that you see in the book of Revelation, and they may very well be pointing to the United States of America or our world today. It could very well be that we are living in the end times. And so I think it is wise for us when we see God's words and the things that Jesus says, when you see these things, be ready. For those of us who are Christians, we see some of these things. But that is not to say that the end is going to happen now. It may. We may very well be living exactly what Revelation is saying. And in some ways, we are. But the Bible also says we don't know when that day is going to be for Jesus' second coming. And it could be a thousand years. Because Let's just face it, we're not the first generation in the world who have seen atrocities and all these things take place that said, well, we must be the ones that must be the end times. And so we need to be careful of that as we read the book of Revelation. And there's one thing that I think people often do that we also need to be careful of, and that is that the end of the United States does not necessarily mean the end of the world. We see many different countries and different peoples throughout history who have risen to prominence and who have fallen, and God has spared his faithful remnant, those who were his and who were faithful to him during that time. And it's not that they didn't have to go through hard times, but we need to be aware of that, and we need to be always in God's word and prepared for whatever may come our way. Because whether Jesus Christ returns next week or next year or not, or whether it's a thousand years, I do believe that we will face some perilous times in this country that we have never seen before. Now, I pray to God that I'm wrong. Maybe God will spare us. But looking at what's taking place in the world today, we see a lot of difficult things. And so I think Revelation is good for us and to see that, look, God is calling us, even in the midst of all the evil, those who are His, to stand strong. And so I wanted to kind of go over that and reiterate that point today before we dig in a little further. I felt like that would be a good point to do that because what we saw last week was we saw Jesus reigning in a, in a literal physical earth that we are in now. But what we are going to see this week is that those things are going to pass away. That is all that is old. There is coming a day whenever it comes that all that is old on this world, all this old sinfulness, everything that is, is going to pass away. And that's what we are going to see here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, this morning. 
Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. Alright, so what we have seen up until this point in history is that God made a beautiful and wonderful and perfect world and it did not take long for sin to enter. And people have not changed. If you go back and you look in Genesis, you see the same type of, of horrible sinfulness in the world then as you see in the world today. People have not changed. Sinfulness is still running rampant in our world today. And so God made a wonderful and perfect place, and it got destroyed, so to speak, by sin. Even though it's still uh, here, that we're still living on it, the earth is still here. It's not completely destroyed in that sense. But it is destroyed in the sense that it is not what God desired for it to be. And so what we see here is that heaven and earth are passing away in verse 11. It says that earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. That is because God is getting prepared to set up a new eternity with a new heaven and a new earth uh, that we're going to see next week. We are, we are getting ready for eternity without sinfulness. And sinfulness cannot stand in the presence of God for all eternity. Now there are some occasions in Scripture where God allows Himself to be before sinful humans. But when it comes down to it, when the new heaven and the new earth are created, there will no longer be any place for sinfulness. So when this great judgment that we are going to see today takes place, there will no longer be place for sin because God has already said that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any sin. And so any little smidgen of sin or evil that there is has to be completely obliterated and taken care of and done. Amen, right? Amen, because we don't have to worry about that anymore. So that's going to be a good day. And so we see that taking place in the text, that as this judgment begins to take place, there is no longer any place for this sinful world and the old things of the sinful past. They are going to be, poof, they're going to be gone in an instant. Let's read a little further. I also saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. And so what we have here is we have one seated on the throne. Now, is it God who is on the throne or is it Jesus who is on the throne? I don't know. It could be either or. It could be either God or Jesus, and that doesn't affect the meaning of the text. The point is that there is judgment that is taking place by a righteous God or by a righteous son and faithful son in Jesus who is on this great white throne, and what we see taking place here is that the dead are raised. Now, last week in the text, what we saw was is that those who were with Jesus, those martyrs who died during the time of tribulation, were raised from the dead. And we already have what I believe is that all the uh, Christians, by that point that we got to last week in chapter 20, that all of those who had put their faith in Christ were already in heaven with Jesus, and they represent those who are coming with Christ and who are reigning with Christ. And, but the text said last week, in verse 5 of chapter 20, the rest of the dead will not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So there is the rest of the dead, and that would be representative of those who are lost. That is, those who died apart from Christ. 
Because the Bible refers to those of us who are in Christ as alive. The Bible doesn't refer to us as dead. That doesn't mean that we won't have to go through a physical death in this life. That's the first death. And apart from Jesus Christ coming back, we will all have to face that first death. And so when the text talks about the dead here, it is talking about those who are dead in their sin. They are apart from Christ. They are not those who have been spared by the blood that was uh, spilled on their behalf when Jesus died on the cross. I saw the dead, great, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Now, we have seen that all throughout the text. That, uh, when it's talking about God's people in heaven, when it's talking about those who are getting destroyed, when it's talking about those who are here before the throne in judgment, there's both the great and small. That is, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how much you have, how much you don't have, God does not pick favorites. What God looks at is the heart. We talked about that in Bible study this morning when Samuel had to go uh, anoint the new king of Israel who was David and he looked at the guy and he said this surely must be the guy, this son of Jesse because he is a good looking man and surely God will pick the best of the best. And God said, I don't look at the outward appearance but I look at the heart. And this is true for the judgment. This is true when we all stand before the Lord. And so it's not going to matter who you are, where you're from, what you have done up until this point if you have not accepted Jesus Christ. Because God's going to look at the heart, and what's he going to see when he looks at the heart? Is he going to see a heart that has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Or is he going to see a heart that has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so we have multiple books that are uh, listed here. We have books, books plural, that is more than one book. And then uh, John makes a special point to say that there was a, another book. So this is totally separate from the first set of books. There is one other book that is different, and that is the book of life. That is the book that contains all the names of those who are found in Jesus Christ. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Now, that's pretty intense stuff right there. The Bible says that the dead, that is, those who are apart from Christ, are judged by what is written in the books. Now, what are these books going to contain? Well, I believe they're going to contain all the works that we have done whether good or bad, whether things we could have done that we didn't do or things that we did do that we shouldn't do. And so that scares me for a second. Now, in the context, I believe that this verse is talking about those who are dead, that is, those who are not Christians. But the Bible clearly says that we will all stand before God in judgment. Let me read you a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So there is coming a day that each one of us will stand before Christ and be repaid for what we've done, whether good or worthless. And so here we see that taking place. Now, are the Christians being, is this the Christian's time of judgment, or is that a separate time before this point? I really don't know. 
We really don't know the answer to that. But what we do know, one, is that we will all stand before God in judgment. And what we see here in the text today is that these dead are going to be judged according to their works. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as I studied that text this week, it brought a fear to me. It brought a fear to me because my life was full of some really, really bad works. Just think if you were to take a book and each day that you sinned against the Lord, you were to begin to write those things in the book. It wouldn't take long to fill up a book, would it? And that's just one day. And we're talking about lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. All these things that we do year after year after year in our lifetime are wrote in this book. And God keeps a record of that. And that's pretty scary for me. To think that one day I'm going to have to stand before God and He's going to say, Why did you do this? Or why didn't you do this? This is the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. The one who created everything. The one who is all-powerful. The one to which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that scares me. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe as a Christian, maybe I shouldn't be fearful of that day. But I am thinking about what that looks like and I begin to think about well, what in the world is written in my books and I thought about it and I said well if I had to write a book just this week just in a few seconds it didn't take me but about 15 seconds these are the things that were in my book just this week and these I probably missed some it probably ain't all of them pride, selfishness, idolatry, boasting, gossip, laziness, hypocrisy, anger and judging if my book was written this week of sins that I committed just this week that's just the tip of the iceberg because those things are in our life, or at least they're in my life. And that makes me cringe because while I desire to be an obedient follower of Christ, that sinfulness is still there. And even though I know right from wrong and I don't desire to do wrong, sometimes I do wrong. And that's a scary thing to know that one day I'm going to have to answer to God for what I've done, as will all of you. Each one of you in this room, each person that has ever took a breath in this world will stand before God and will be judged for what they have done. And not only that, but we will be judged by what we don't do, I believe. All those opportunities that God presents to us that we can do His work and we don't do it. When the Holy Spirit leads and guides us to do something, and we refuse to do it. So that is something that we should stop and that we should think about. For both the Christian and those who are not Christian. For those who believe and for those who don't believe. That's going to be a tough day. Now we will be judged by our works, but there is a difference between the lost person, that is those who do not believe in Christ who are judged by their works, and those who are in Christ and who are judged by their works. If you want to flip with me, you can to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now this is some good assurance for the believer. This is some good assurance for the believer who is like me and who sins. And it's a scary thing to stand before God. And God wants us to do good works. And the Bible says that we will be rewarded for our good works. We won't be saved by our good works. We're saved by Jesus Christ and His death on a cross. 
But the Bible does say that we will be rewarded for our good works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 10. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses symbolic language here about a foundation. Then he goes and he tells us the foundation that he's talking about is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our life. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we ask Him to come into our heart. We ask Him to be our Jesus. We become a Christian, and Jesus is now our foundation. Now, everybody that's ever seen a house being built, you have to have a good foundation. <laughs> Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, that the foolish man built his, his uh, house on the sands, and when the rains came and the winds blew, that house didn't stand. But the man who built his, his house on a firm foundation was with, able to withstand all the things that took place in his life. And so it is with Jesus. He is our foundation. That's what Paul's talking about here. Let's read a little further. If anyone builds on that foundation, okay, here's the good stuff here, with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious on the day, that is, the day of judgment. For Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's works. Now, that's pretty intense right there, right? Because everything that we do is going to be tested by fire, so to speak. So it doesn't matter what you do, no matter how good of a work it is, your motives are going to be judged on that day. Not necessarily the letter of the law that you followed, but what was your heart when you did what you did. All of that is going to be judged when that day comes. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. So when we stand before God as Christians, that's what we're talking about here as Christians because Christians are the ones whose foundations are Jesus. When we stand before God as Christians, our foundation is Jesus and God will judge all the works that we do. Now the Bible says that we should be about good works as Christians. Again, not to be saved, but we do good works because we are saved. Because we want other people to experience the grace we've experienced. We want to help the poor. We want to help those who are in need. We want to love on people when they're unlovable because that's what God did for us. And those works are going to be judged. And if they are found to be pure, that is no false motives, we did it with the right heart, we did it to serve God, then they are going to survive. And the person will receive a reward. Now, we should, our motivation for good work should never be just to receive a reward. Our motivation should good, for good work should be so that Jesus Christ and Christ crucified can be preached and that grace can be received by those who come to them. That is our motivation. There should be no other motivation. But God will reward our good works. Now, verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. Okay, so anything that we do that's false motives that we shouldn't be doing, it says that that work is going to be burned up. But listen to this. This is the reassuring part for the Christian. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Okay, so it, it doesn't mean that because you have done some sinfulness or have done some bad works that you are going to lose your salvation if your foundation is in Jesus Christ. It means your works are going to be gone. You're not going to receive a reward from that. 
but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. And so that's a, 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 an encouraging verse for me as a Christian because as I just read to you, that's just a small list of sins that I've committed this week and I'm guilty. I wish I could say that every work that I've ever done in my life I had proper motives, but sometimes I'm guilty of doing something maybe just because somebody is looking or some false humility. Or maybe people think I'm doing it for the right reason, but maybe I'm doing it for some self-gain. And that's just me. I don't know about you guys. But that's just me, and that's why that scares me. But what we want to pay attention to after reading this verse is that, look, we need to have the right motive, the right attitude when we do God's work so that when that day comes, God will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we will receive a reward for our works, that our works are not done in vain, but that our works will have some eternal significance. That is not eternal significance in the sense that we have an award, reward, while that will be eternal. It should be eternal significance in the fact that we have done God's work, God's good work, and people have come to Jesus Christ and they are in heaven for all of eternity. That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. That's another one that the devil doesn't get when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's read a little further back in Revelation chapter 20. So after this judging takes place of those who are dead, after the books are read, there is, a, there is a scary thing that takes place. Because no matter how many books you have and how many good works you may have written in those books that God has taken care of, no matter how many good motives you may have had, even if all your works were properly motivated and everything you did was good and you helped the poor and you did a lot of good things, at the end of it all, when God judges you, He is going to look at your works and they're not going to be good enough if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's pretty tough. That's tough for us to hear because we all know good people, right? We all know people who are good people who do good works, but they don't know Jesus Christ. They have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if works would have been good enough, then God would have just left us to our own and said, all right, work it out. Get salvation for yourself. But works was not good enough, which is why he sent Jesus Christ. And so those who have done works, who have books written with their works, those works will be judged and they will come up short because we can never work our way into heaven. It's going to be a scary day. Maybe some of you need to hear that. I don't know your heart. Maybe some of you today that are here are trying to work your way into heaven. Maybe you think, well, I've done enough good stuff. Maybe that'll be just enough to get me by. There is no just enough to get you by unless it's Jesus Christ. You're either saved or you're not saved. There is no between. You're not just, just barely hanging on saved. You're not a lot saved or a little saved. There is saved and there is unsaved. You fall in one of those two camps. And those who are unsaved, you're going to be judged by your works. And I can tell you right now, they're not going to be good enough. But those of us who are saved and know Jesus Christ, we're going to be judged by His works. And they are good enough. Verse 13, Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now, 
We talked about those last week, those who were in the first resurrection, those who were in Christ, and blessed are they because they don't have to experience the second death. Appointed for men, all men to die once, the Bible says. We'll all die once if Jesus doesn't come back. These bodies aren't going to last forever, and that's okay. Because those who are in Christ will be resurrected to Christ. We'll be resurrected in a new body. It will be a good day. But for those who die the first time, that's just the beginning. Because there will be a second death that will be much more harsh. Following this judgment, those who have rejected Jesus Christ will be eternally cast into the lake of fire. And not just those who have rejected Jesus Christ, but also death and Hades. So it kind of uh, gives us an idea here. The sea gave up its dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. I don't really know exactly what that sea means, why that's got to be in there. But I think it's just saying it's all inclusive, that nobody's going to escape. No matter where you are, no matter how you died, you're all going to stand before God, and you're all going to suffer the same judgment because of your works. Now, I don't know. That's just, that's just one possible interpretation that may help you, but the Bible doesn't say that, so we may have to just leave that unanswered for now. But what it does talk about is that death and Hades will also be cast into the lake of fire. Now, death is something that's, that's, that's kind of a bummer, right? Because God never intended for it to be that way. And it's always tough, no matter how many times you lose somebody you love, it never gets any easier. It's always tough. Death is just, it's a bummer. And that, that word doesn't do it justice because it's more than that. But man, it just, it breaks your heart because you lose somebody you love and you don't want to tell them goodbye. And you see them suffer you know, with cancer or whatever it may be. And death is, is a bummer. And that was the penalty of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. And here we see death is done away with. Because we're getting ready for a new heaven and a new earth, a perfect place. And there's not going to be any more death. And so it's done away with. It's cast into the lake of fire. We see uh, that Hades is cast into the lake of fire. Now that word Hades, we see that sometimes in the Bible. We also see a word in the Old Testament called Sheol. We also see the word hell in some of our Bibles. And we use the word hell a lot. But... What we need to at least talk about for a second, and it's not of a huge significance, but uh, what we want to talk about is that the word hell itself, there's no actual word hell in the Greek or the Hebrew. Now, it's a word that was translated many years later, and what hell symbolizes is eternal suffering, a place that's going to be uh, filled with burning and a place of eternal suffering. And so when we say hell, that is representative of, of a of a bad ending for all eternity. But in the Old Testament, we see a word uh, called Sheol that some would say means the grave, and I even myself thought that. But upon further study this week, I've discovered that I don't believe that Sheol means the grave. And we also have uh, the Greek version of Sheol, which is Hades, which is also, obviously it can't be hell because it gets cast into the lake of fire. And so there appears in text to be this Sheol slash Hades, which is a place that uh, those who are not in Christ are kept for a little while. They are kept for a little while, and we see uh, many instances of that through the Old Testament. I won't go through and, and go over all those today because that's neither here nor there, but we see a place where uh, those who are apart from Christ are kept for a little while. We see references uh, in the Bible where those angels who had fallen, who had rejected Jesus Christ, who had rebelled against the Lord, we see that God had prepared a special place for them in 2 Peter 2. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus, or hell, and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness 
until judgment. So there is a place that God has set aside, at least for the fallen angels here, and I believe uh, from the text, all of those who are apart from Christ that are being kind of kept there for a while until the final judgment comes. We see mention of, of such a place in Revelation. We see those who are in the abyss. We see that Satan is cast into the abyss. So it would appear as though that there is a place that is a holding place temporarily until the final judgment come, and the final judgment is the lake of fire. Because death and Hades, or death and hell, as some of your translations would say, is into the lake of fire. Jesus talked about hell. The literal translation there would be uh, the valley of Hinnom, the valley of Gehenna. When the, we see the word hell that Jesus spoke in the New Testament, that would be the literal term. And it was a real physical place outside of Jerusalem, a place where all the refuse was sent and all the waste and everything. It was a bad place. It was like a dump. It's like the worst of the worst stuff there. And it was a place that was lit on fire and it was always burning. If you've ever been to a dump and seen it burning, it's not a good smell. It's a horrible thing. And so Jesus, actually, literally in the text, he said, the valley of Hinnom. Now we translate that as hell and kind of miss a little of the significance of it because it was a real physical, literal place. But it was representative of what we would call hell, and that is an eternal an eternal place of punishment that you don't want to be there. And we see here that that place that you don't want to be, that Jesus is talking about and alluding to, and that so many times in Scripture we've seen it alluded to, this hell that we call it is, as the Bible would call it, the lake of fire. It is a place by this point we have already seen the false prophet who has been thrown into there. We have seen uh, the Antichrist who is thrown into there. We have seen the devil himself who is thrown into there. We saw death that is thrown into there. And we see Hades slash hell slash Sheol which is thrown into there. And so therefore all these things that have caused us sinfulness, all these things that have caused us grief, all these things that had some evil and some sin mixed in, everything now is completely gone. The old heaven and the old earth are passed away. Sheol and the grave and death and the Satan, uh, Satan and the Antichrist, all of them have passed away. And so what we are left with at this point in the book of Revelation is a wonderful and glorious future because there is no more evil. It has been dealt with. Praise the Lord. Right? We should be excited about that. Praise the Lord because everything has been dealt with. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now that last verse gives us something to think about. Everyone whose name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. For eternal punishment. And that's a question you need to answer today is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And maybe you're saying, look, I don't, I, I don't know if my name's written there or not. How does my name get to be written there? Your name gets to be written in the book of life when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is when you acknowledge that you are a wretched sinner. And every Christian has to come to that point. You can't become a Christian without recognizing, wait a minute, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Every one of us are. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'd better you're guaranteed that your book is in the name your, your name is in the book of life not because of your works that's a whole separate book your works are being kept up with but what's going to determine 
your entry into heaven or your casting into the lake of fire is, is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, then maybe the Holy Spirit <coughs> is convicting you today and you realize, oh snap, I've been living wrong. I had not been doing right. I've never accepted Jesus Christ. I've, I've been doing good works. I've been coming to church, but I never asked Jesus to come into my heart. And praise the Lord, if the Holy Spirit's convicted you of that today, then you can make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today. You can invite Him into your heart, and you can be spared the lake of fire, and you can be promised of a perfect and sinless place that God has prepared for you. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning, and I thank you for these words. God, we covered a lot of ground. We covered some heavy stuff, some serious stuff. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit... Uh, would, would work in the minds and the hearts of each of these, dear Lord, in the areas where I may not have spoke clearly or just didn't make sense, God, that the Holy Spirit is making sense, that they're looking at your word, dear Lord, and that by reading your word, each one here understands what your word says. I pray for if there are any in this place, God, that have not accepted Jesus Christ, maybe they're, 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 they're kind of struggling this morning because they think, man, I... I thought I was a Christian, but, but I realized I wasn't. And maybe there's some, some fear of what are people going to think if I confess my sinfulness and accept Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I pray that you would remove that, that fear from their heart. That's the enemy trying to keep them from making that commitment, that decision for you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that in this moment, God, if there's one in this room that has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would pray to you, acknowledge their sinfulness, and ask you to forgive them to come into their heart, to cleanse them, to spare them of the wrath to come, to spare them an eternity separated from you, but that they can have the assurance to know that you're coming back for them, dear Lord. And we thank you for coming back for us, dear Lord. We don't know when that day is going to be, but we know you're coming, and we know when you do, it's going to be good, God. And so we thank you for that. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.